I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. So I'm just standing in the stumpery now. It's quite a damp morning and it's sort of adding atmosphere to the space. I'm Fiona Davison and welcome to Gardening with the RHS. We begin today in a dark and shady spot in North Devon. Meet David Perry, a garden manager at RHS Garden Rosemore. That stumpery he's describing is home to some particularly prehistoric looking foliage. The ferns have all got really sort of glistening miniature bubbles on their foliage of little uh, raindrops. I've just seen a shrew that's just scurried through a couple of stumps there and into a big clump of bamboo. So quite alive with wildlife because it's so, so quiet in here. We'll be returning to David in Rosemore later in the programme because today's show is all about ferns. These shade-loving, intricate plants have not only inspired gardeners but have also worked their way into everything from furniture to fashion. We'll be hearing why Victorian England was gripped by a fern frenzy and exploring how to make them stand out in your own garden. The earliest fern fossils date from almost 360 million years ago, long before the evolution of conifers or flowering plants, or even dinosaurs yet they're still going strong today. For garden designer Danny Clark, it's this history that excites him. So here's his love letter to a rather unusual variety. Tree ferns actually made me feel like I'm going back in time. Like I'm not, not in this particular world, I think would be the best way to put it. I could let my imagination run away with me. I half expect a dinosaur to come running through and knock me over. They kind of transport me into a different world, into like some sort of Jurassic age. Because they've got this sort of, um, how can I put it, prehistoric quality about them. You can't ignore a tree fern if you see one. You can't ignore it, and you'll always remember it. The first time I saw a tree fern was at my wholesalers, at the wholesalers that I use. Now, these tree ferns can vary in height. I mean, you can get them as tiny as, say, I don't know, six inches to a foot, or as tall as, um, I don't know, five, six, seven metres. So it basically looks like a tree with ferns popping out the top, and it just, they just took my breath away. 
the actual root system is in the trunk above ground. And you've got these great big fronds. They're absolutely enormous. And they just had this fantastic architectural quality. To care for them, all you need to do is, you don't want water freezing in the crown. So just put some straw in the crown, say around about November time, and that should give it enough protection to see it through a winter. I would be inclined to leave the fronds on because it's kind of semi-deciduous. In a mild winter, it will hang on to its fronds. They won't go brown. They'll stay green. If that happens, then you're very lucky because then come the spring, you're going to get fresh fronds and your tree fern is going to look really lush. But if you do have a cold winter and the fronds go brown, still leave them on. But as a new growth comes through in the spring, just take them off with a pair of secateurs. And that's it, really. Oh, and the other thing is, when you water, water in the crown. Don't let the tree fern dry out. If a client says to me, I want my garden to look nice from the upper window, I will often recommend a tree fern because I think they're shown off to the best when you are looking at them from an elevated position. And I tend to like to plant them, not as single specimens, but as a cluster, as a group. I think that's a way to sort of show them off at the best and not um, necessarily put them so they're bolt upright, sort of put them at angles. I think that's the way to show them off to their best effect. I think they're a great addition, really, to most styles of gardens. If you can manage to get one, I don't think you'd ever be disappointed. Danny Clark. I also love ferns. They're one of the few plants that really thrive in my dark and shady London garden. And in fact, I'm going to be building a fernery at the end of my garden. We've got an old air raid shelter at the end, which we need to cover up a big, ugly concrete thing. And we're going to take the opportunity to build a fernery. So I'm really excited about getting to choose lots of lovely ferny plants. And it seems that Danny and I aren't alone in our love for ferns. Looking back in time, the Victorians were also enamoured with their intricate leaves. In the 1850s, British society was gripped by a fern fever, otherwise known as pteridomania. Fern hunting parties became popular because it was one of the few times Victorian ladies could escape their chaperones and get out and clamber among the rocks seeking rare ferns. And if they were lucky, they might even hook up with a similar male fern fan. This fern frenzy became apparent through designs in textiles, pottery, paper, teapots, chamber pots and even gravestones. One of our most beautiful fern books is The Ferns of Great Britain and Ireland by Thomas More, published in 1857. And that uses a technique called nature printing, where you use the leaf of the plant to make an impression on the page to make the illustrations. He wedged fern leaves between sheets of lead and steel and put them through a roller, pressed really hard, and you get these really beautiful, intricate illustrations of the fern leaves. They're just gorgeous. And nature writer Richard Maybe is particularly interested in the craze. The Victorian's obsession with ferns really came about almost by accident. There was a doctor working in the East End called Nathaniel Ward, 
And in the 1820s, he was experimenting with moth chrysalises, and he put one aside in a sealed glass jar and was astonished to see the next spring that a small fern had grown up inside this jar and continued to flourish. And this led to the invention of a thing called the Wardian case, which was a, a closed glass and wood box in which plants could be grown and protected from the atmosphere. They were like very small little greenhouses. And ferns were one of the, the very first plants that were really happy in this kind of environment. They're shade lovers, but they did love the watery atmosphere that you get inside a closed glass container. So Wardian cases began to burst on the Victorian scene in about 1840. They rapidly became commercially available helped by the removal of the tax on glass that happened in 1845. So glass suddenly became the great fashionable Victorian material. And it served so much to service the particular worldview of the Victorians. Glass meant that you could enclose things, keep them as a kind of private possession, but still be able to see them. Now, ferns were greatly appealing to the Victorians. They, they had a kind of gothic appearance, which went very, very much in turn with the aesthetic of the time. It's also important to, to remember that uh, at the beginning, they had to be collected from the countryside. And the Victorians were desperately keen plant collectors, but they were worried about their women getting too much in touch with um, the sex life of flowering plants. And ferns seemed very asexual to the Victorians. Of course, they weren't, but they weren't so conspicuous about it. They seemed delicate and slightly fairy, and certainly very suitable subjects for collection and study by equally delicate young ladies and not liable to lead them into trouble. When ferns began to be collected on quite a large scale, the fern motif began to leak into all kinds of other aspects of life. It was very popular in designs. I've seen an extraordinary photograph of, a, of an Australian governor's wife who made a dress entirely decorated with ferns. That, that is the thing about the, the fern craze. It wasn't just confined to Britain. Ferns also began to influence architecture and you get echoes of their strange filigree edges, all those angles in some of the stained glass windows of the Victorian period. So there was a considerable impact on the design aesthetic of the Victorians that was brought about by ferns. I think an underlying reason for ferns' popularity in the Victorian times was their overall texture. That is something to do with the interaction between the damp, sometimes slimy environments they grew in and the very smooth glistening surfaces that they so often have. And I think, again, this was something which appealed to Victorian ideas of delicacy and mystery. 
Don't forget, this was the time when interest in the supernatural was really quite strong. And, and ferns inhabited the kind of dark, cavernous nooks that appealed to the, the, the Victorian sense of places beyond the ordinary. Richard Maybe. But it wasn't just the Victorians who were caught up in Fern's myth and magic. In Slavic folklore, ferns are believed to flower, but only once a year. The blooms are meant to be extremely difficult to find. But if you're lucky enough to stumble across them, you can be guaranteed to be happy and rich for the rest of your life. Of course, unfortunately, ferns don't flower. They've got very complicated reproduction lives, which only became clear to people when microscopes were invented and they could see the tiny spores on the back of the leaves, which when they drop off, then go through another complicated process to make ferns. But why not send the children out looking for fern flowers? It'll get them out from under your feet, so it's worth a go. And now we'd better get back to our garden manager, David, who we left in the stumpery at RHS Rosemore. Stumps, a real sort of two-tone effect this morning with the damp catching some of their surfaces and then other surfaces still remaining dry because they're so sort of gnarled and knotted. A lot of them giving a, a real sort of sense of stag-headed antlers. Ferns are sort of growing out of um, some of the tops of the stumps that gives them a real sense of life and movement. One of the stumps in here has got a, a real presence, a, a particular form, almost a bit like an ent, if anyone knows the uh, Lord of the Rings. We've got quite a large collection of tree ferns in here to give that real sense of stature going forward as they mature. But they really generate a really nice full foliage contrast to the stumps, really frothing, if you like, over the stumps. RHS Rosemore is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year and is currently looking wonderful. As well as the stumpery, there are some beautiful displays in the wildflower meadow, as well as their contrasting hot and cool themed gardens. So to celebrate Rosemore's special birthday, we asked David to take us through the ferns growing in the secluded stumpery. The uh, range of ferns that we have in the stumpery are... Uh a collection of ferns for shady areas and also for more open sites as well. Those that we've got included for the shady areas, for example, are felt fern, quite a sort of pinnate formed leaf. They've got a sort of a really nice sort of felty, furry feel to, to the leaf. Quite a contrast to that is Adiantum aluticum imbricatum. So that's um, got a really sort of feathery, fine, lighter green-leafed frond to it. And there's also the northern Korean fern, the, or the rock fern. And yeah, that's kind of, uh, again, quite a feathery foliage, but uh, it likes that really nice shade and, and damp position. Standing in the stumpery, you get a real sort of atmosphere of being enveloped in a kind of quite a dark kind of, obviously very wooded and kind of secretive, I guess that's the other word, kind of quite a sort of intimate feel to it. It's got some really large kind of statement stumps that we've sort of built up through grouping lots of stumps together to make a kind of a single unit. And then there are a couple of architectural features. But we've used some large pieces of, of timber that have fused together in, the, in their natural growth habit. And then they've been taken down from trees in the past and we've had them stored because they're such a sort of unique features. 
We've also got some really, really large leaved rhododendrons in there to give that real kind of tropical kind of exotic feel to it as well. The amount of just decaying timber, if you like, that's present gives a really good home to lots of sort of bugs and beasties. It's a perfect sort of habitat for, for a lot of our native birds as well. They sort of, we've, we've noticed nests in some of the, uh, the stumps higher up. If you wanted to create your own sort of miniature or small stumpery, I'd recommend probably trying to utilise any stumps that you've already got in the garden because you can always expose them more and leave them a little bit higher. You want to get some plantings, maybe some bamboo or some larger leaf rhododendrons in and around the area to give it that kind of sense of enclosure, create that shade, which any ferns you want to grow will generally love. The other recommendation would be to really add as much kind of leaf litter and sort of rotted down leaf material that you can um, to give a really nice deep hummus rich media for the ferns to grow in. Uh, you can get sort of epiphytic ferns that will grow into the sides of the stumps themselves as well. So you've got a, a nice range of growth habits for the plants to, uh, to kind of get nestled into as well. I really love spending time in the stumpery because it's just such a kind of uh, a world away from the rest of the garden. It's right adjacent to one of our meadows, um, which is a re- obviously a really open, big scale site. And the stumpery is so kind of sort of niched in and small scale and kind of intimate that it just gives that lovely kind of you know, immediate contrast to the surrounding area. It's a really nice sort of cool feeling and you've got the, there's a stream running to the rear of the stumpery. It lends it a real rhythm and calming sense, I guess. Rosemore is well worth a visit, but just remember you need to book a slot, and you can do that on the RHS website. David mentioned a number of different types of fern there, but how do you get the best out of them? Some like wet conditions, others like to grow on dry stone walls. There's so much to consider. So here's gardening advisor Jenny Bowden with some top tips for getting the best out of them. I've got a little collection outside the back door, which are a mixture of indoor ferns and outdoor ferns. So I've got some ferns from the house which are spending their summer holidays in a north-facing corner, and they're absolutely loving it. But I'm going to develop a new area of the garden, which I will certainly be adding ferns to, and I shall be enjoying choosing them. They can be quite varied in their leaf shapes as well, and I'm a really big fan of textures and shapes of foliage. So yes, I'm certainly a fan of ferns. Ferns are your classic plant for shade. It ranges from quite deep shade to dappled shade where you might get some for through the trees at the edge of a canopy. You might get sun for half the day. But essentially they're sort of shade and part shade plants and they love a rich soil with plenty of leaf mould, so from deciduous trees like oaks, etc. So if you're growing them, then you want to try to mix in plenty of well-rotted stable manure or any other soil conditioner before you plant. As long as they've got some moisture at their roots, they're going to be happy. That's the absolute optimum conditions. If you haven't got such damp conditions, so if it tends to dry out slightly in the summer, then there are still ferns that you can plant. Polystecum 
is one of them, which will tolerate a slightly drier soil. And polypodium is another one that would tolerate a slightly drier soil. Spring drought is a bit of a no-no. You do want to get them going at the beginning of the season and also when they're young. But after that, they can tolerate a little dryness at the roots if you've prepared the ground. Ferns will grow in containers. Very, very handy for containers. If you've got a shady corner, I've got a nice little selection going on at home at the moment. I've actually put one of mine in multi-purpose compost and it's absolutely fine. It likes that sort of fibrous compost. You could use some topsoil. If you've got reasonable topsoil, you could use that and improve it with homemade garden compost or very well rotted manure, but they like that sort of organic-y kind of soil. I've used one called Cytormium or Cytormium, which is the Japanese holly fern, which has got quite unusual leaves and it's evergreen. They're not all green either, which is fun. There's one called Atherium nipponicum pictum, which is a Japanese painted fern. And it's got kind of glaucous grey foliage, beautiful markings on it, very filigreed. And so that makes a really lovely change to the plain green. When you're doing your research into choosing ferns, you might find that there's descriptions of dry shade and wet shade, which can be a bit confusing. Dry shade might constitute somewhere, perhaps where there's trees in the vicinity, where the roots of the trees are taking quite a lot of the moisture. And wet shade is just somewhere where it doesn't dry out completely, especially during the summer months. Those particular ferns are going to enjoy that consistent moisture. A common mistake that you could make when planting ferns is to plant them far too deeply and you can rot the crowns. Just plant them at the same height that they were when you bought them in their pots. They do like to be mulched. They do like a layer of organic matter put around them from time to time just to help keep the moisture in. And also the worms will take it down and improve the soil for you and improve the moisture holding capacity of the soil. With some ferns, you find that they rise up they tend to rise up out of the ground a bit and go quite lumpy. You can actually lower those just to make them look a bit tidier. But planting too deeply at the outset when you first get the plants can be a cause for sections of them rotting. And then probably another thing that might cause their failure is just not giving them enough water when they're planted. It's always great to hear from Jenny. She's always so full of great tips and tricks. For more on today's topic, head to rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. Next week, it's time to get dressed up as one of our beautiful shows come to you with our Tatton Park at Home special. There'll be a host of amazing videos and resources online and our podcast will be providing some behind-the-scenes goodies including tips on how to get started with a career in gardening. Until then, from me, Fiona Davison, it's goodbye for now.
walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced-rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.